You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. This episode is a highlight clip from this week's full episode. To listen in on the complete conversation, see the show notes for the link to the complete show. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate every bit of your support. I'm Morgan McKittrick, your producer, and this is Decidedly. They don't like when their algorithms are busted. They, they, everything they do is on a policy or a protocol or an algorithm. And when somebody goes outside of it, they don't exactly know what to do. And I know this is mocking them just a little bit, but if you've ever seen the movie A Bug's Life, there's a scene at the very beginning where the, um, the ants are all bringing food to the offering, and off of the tree falls this leaf, and it falls down right in front of the ants. And the ants yep. get in a big yeah. panic and they don't know what to do because, because yeah. their, their, their system has been disrupted. And then one of the ants goes up on a rock and says, calm down, we'll go around the leaf. And they figure it out. <laughs> but the medical model has yet to figure out that what they're doing isn't what women want. And so after 24 years in the hospital setting, um, they didn't want me to be there anymore. They weren't going to renew my privileges. And I... Did, I, it was untenable for me to stay there. So I started uh, doing home birthing. And for the last 12 years, I've been doing home birthing. And I've been doing breaches and twins and VBACs, which are vaginal birth after cesarean, and sometimes diabetics. And after, all the things I did in the hospital, I'm doing at home. And it, 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 it's because you can think out of the box. When you're in the box, you can't think out of the box. And now, is that the, the, the being boxed in, is that a function of the hospital system, the pharmaceutical industry, or is it a, a function that most of these hospitals are large organizations, larger organizations are going to have a tendency to be more bureaucratic with their policies? Yes, it's all, it's all those things. It's one, the way the doctors are trained. It's two, you know, the doctors nowadays are trained to be employees. They're trained to be sheep and not shepherds. 50 years ago, you know, you had Marcus Welby, you had Dr. Kildare, you had all these bold doctors doing things on TV. And, uh, but now doctors are trained to be employees. And so they're employees of a big corporation or they're, or they're, you know, they're on a panel for an insurance company of Blue Shield or Blue Cross. And if they step out of line, they're going to lose their Blue Cross contract or they're going to get kicked off of their staff or they're going to get fired from their HMO. And so they end up keeping their head down. It's sort of the thing you saw. Why don't people speak out in businesses when, when uh, you know, there were mandates to, to, to vaccinate people in order to, for them to keep their job? I mean, coercion yeah. in any form is never acceptable. But in medical ethics, it is absolutely unacceptable. And yet you see it at every twist and turn. Oh, yeah. There's a, a great value in being uh, independent, I think, in an advisory or a, a care role. Um, <clears throat> sure, there's some value in having the resources of the large organization. But, you know, kind of like you, I made a decision myself to be an independent advisor. And that was hard. You know, it's hard to say I'm going to leave all support systems. I'm going to leave, you know, I, I don't have the ability to attach myself to a big brand name. Uh, you know, that could hurt the pro prospecting for new business. Ultimately, what, what caused me to make that decision and take that leap was to say, you know what, the, the independence is going to provide me the best opportunity to do what's right. Because I know when I 
think a decision needs to be made. I can actually do it. I don't have to answer to anybody else other than the person I take care of. Yeah. I mean, Sanger, you couldn't, you, that's exactly right in every profession. That's right. I, I, just an example I often use when I talk about this is, you know, if I have a microscope in my office and it breaks, guess what? I go out tomorrow and buy a new microscope. Yeah. If you don't have to submit a five page form and, and wait <laughs> for three committees that only meet once a month to come to a collusion and then get several bids and then, and then, you know, it takes eight months. So meanwhile, and for eight months, you can't make, di <laughs> make diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, well, you and know, I can't it's, work it's in that. It's true. Too. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, wisdom in, in looking at the decision you made, Sanger, to say, you know, I want to be able to control my own destiny. And, and you and I have talked about that many times as, as part of a larger organization. If there are big organizations, even in the financial services industry, they've got to put down rules and guidelines for the, the masses. You for know, the idiots. Well, I don't want to say for the idiots, but they've got a it's lot of people. It's only the idiots who ever cause those rules to be made. <laughs> okay. If you had a if you had a hospital full of angels, okay, there's not going to be very many rules. You'd have to have smart angels too, right? Okay, so, if you had a hospital full of competent, benevolent people, yes, and nobody was dumb, nobody was greedy, nobody was immoral, nobody was vengeful, nobody was envious, nobody was prideful. If you had a hospital, a bank, a school, whatever, a government full of people like that, you wouldn't have to have those rules. We wouldn't have to have laws. No, no you wouldn't. But the reality of it is that that you, you don't have that ideal situation. And yeah, so, so there the are, there, so here, here's my question. When you look at many of those rules, whether they're compliance rules, uh, policy and procedure rules, they are there ultimately for risk mitigation. Now that they're there, you know, I think we can all agree, they're, they're there primarily not to protect the patient. They're there to protect the institution. Right. Uh, and so, right. Yeah. Bravo. Right. So when you look at uh, separating from that organization, there, there's going to be an inherent assumption of, or, or assumption of risk on, on your part, because now you're saying I'm going in violation of the prescribed methodology. I'm going to take uh, this, this patient and we're going to do it a, a different way. Isn't there a, a, an increased level of risk that you're assuming doing that? And how did that factor into your decision-making that sort of risk? There had to be some risk mitigation thought process that you went through. Are you asking me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. no, well, both of you, but yeah, I mean, I'll talk to Sanger offline. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, this, 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 first of all, that was brilliantly said. I, I really want to have a beer with both you guys later, but when you look at, these policies that are put in place and you say, is it risky to be outside of those policies? And I would say it's the opposite. I would say that, that um, being free to make decisions in the best interest of the individual client, as opposed to skewing your counseling so that your clients follow the rules of the institution makes you less likely to be sued less likely to find yourself in a situation where you have to prevaricate. That's, I'll use a nice word. Okay. Um, it, 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 frees, it frees you up to be honest and to individualize. And when you work within a system that is where the rules are, as you, as you said, are made by the risk management department, 
These are people that come in and work nine to five and never are in the in the hospital at two o'clock in the morning when a decision has to be yeah. made and certain um, things are supposedly have to be done. And if they don't get done, they come in at nine the next morning and then yell at you for not doing them. Um, it's very hard for me to respect these people. I wouldn't necessarily call them stupid uh, or idiots, um, Sanger, but, but I would tell you that they're not smart <laughs> though, Sean, because um, there's, there's no correlation between academic credentials and wisdom. And, and the, yeah. and the people that run my profession are very highly trained and they're very unwise. They, they, they don't know anything but what they, what, but what they know. And they don't care to seek out any information outside of what they know because it makes them uncomfortable. There's a cognitive dissonance there. All right. I mean, talk about a term that's bandied around all the time, which is standard of care. Right. What's the standard of care? Well, first of all, who decides what the standard of care is? The hospital, the hospital's lawyers, the, the, the county, the state, the federal government, um, the, you know, who decides? And the standard of care is something that if you have a bunch of bad doctors in a hospital, the standard of care is bad medicine. So if you practice good medicine, you're outside the standard of care. If you practice what is um, that there's what the, I don't like to use the term evidence based because evidence can be good or bad. Um, but when you practice things that are scientific, that are like breach birth is what my big thing. Um, it's very supported in the literature. And yet it's vilified because it's not the standard of care. Where I've seen it in, in our profession is where you you know, an advisor could be following the prescribed methodology of the, uh, the industry or their company or, you know, whatever, and where it can go sideways for an individual client. And maybe you can speak to this in the, in the medical field is when the advisor is taking a product based approach. In other words, they're not looking mm. at the needs of the, of the individual. They're saying, how do I place this product? How do I place this? mutual fund annuity, whatever it is. Uh, and everything is then designed cleverly to lead to that outcome. Right. <laughs> right. All the systems, all yeah, the, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear right, to they'll, that. They'll lead to it's that. It's interesting outcome. to hear you guys talk like that because I am in such a, uh, like a, a bubble of my own world. But when you said that, it just reminds me of, of the American college of OBGYN puts out a newsletter every week or so. And in the newsletter, sometimes they'll have, things about counseling people on vaccines. And there's a vaccine called mm -hmm. the Tdap vaccine, which is tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. It's recommended by ACOG to give to all women at 28 weeks pregnant, even though um, it's never been tested in pregnant women. And they came what? and they came Hold and they on. came out well the same thing with the COVID vaccine, but we won't even go there. I'm just using Tdap as an example. They came out with a statement that about how to counsel women who were reluctant to take the Tdap and the flu vaccine, mm -hmm. and at the end of the at the end of the statement, it said, "If the I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but if the woman decides not to do take the vaccine after you counseled them, then you must have counseled them wrong." 
<laughs> they actually say this. Jesus. And they've said it oh, about the man. COVID vaccine as well. But they, they actually say that as opposed to maybe the person has a different philosophy. Because no logical person, no logical person could ever not want to do this thing that we say. That's right. They're so, yeah. they're so confident in their position. You know, it's, it's, there's an old saying, it says, it's not my skepticism that should bother you. It's, it's, it's their confidence. And one of the yeah. things you asked me is like, is like, how do I deal with something? I'm, I'm in a comfortable position. I know what I'm an expert at and I know what I'm not an expert at. And because I feel comfortable and confident and I'm able to speak my own mind, I'm able to tell people, you know, I don't know that. Or I'm not your best guy for that. And I don't have to pretend yeah. that I am. I don't have to, I have the time to go through it. I have the time. You know what? Let's look this up. And we pull out our phones. Yeah. I mean, we got all the world's information in your pocket. And you could pull it out and look so, it up. So, so yeah. when you look at risk mitigation, you know, when, you know, when we're, we're focusing on decision making, part of decision making is risk mitigation. When you look at risk mitigation, you've got to go to your fact sources. And in your, you know, industry... That's going to be uh, organizations like the uh, the AMA, the, the ACOG, CDC, yeah, right. you know those types of things. Yeah, all of those. So in the current environment, and, and I'll say, at least for me, up until probably about a year and a half, ago, <laughs> uh, if the CDC had said something to me, I would have followed that blindly. I mean, yes, that's yeah, what I, they're saying, and I will do yes, it. Yeah, right? I would have done anything they said. Um, I'm probably, and I, and I don't think I'm alone. I think I'm probably 180 degrees from that now. Yeah, I, I've been. Uh, is that what they're saying? I, I might, I might view with some skepticism and and seek more information. Or maybe that's. Yeah, I was, I was I skeptic know, but... uh, of them a lot longer than just the last two years. But <laughs> but, but I okay. understand, and if anybody isn't skeptic of them now, then they're then they're really living in a in a in a fantasy world because they have lied to you mm -hmm. consistently, and if you read proper books. They have lied to you for a hundred mm -hmm. years, and they keep lying to you. And yet, we keep we keep following them. And why do we follow them? Well, now it's because they're everyone's compromised by big pharma. And then why does the press right. not challenge them? Because the press's number one sponsor is big pharma. And why does the CDC not uh, you know approve something when when it doesn't even have any research behind it? It's because they're corrupted. <laughs> Thanks for making the great decision to listen in to this week's episode highlight. If you want more of what you just heard, see the show notes for the full episode. As always, for the latest decision-making tips, find us on decidedlypodcast.com or on Instagram at decidedlypodcast. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter from the link in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review as well. We read all of your comments, so if you learned some decision-making tips today, let us know. Until next time, this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.